Welcome to Maelstrom Radio Presents, Here With Me, a series about the stories people want to share about their journeys with mental illness, trauma, and negative thoughts. We are not professionals, nor are we a substitute for their professional diagnosis or treatments. Please enjoy, Here With Me. Alright, hi everyone, this is Emmy from Musecast 14, here with Dylan Thorne from Maelstrom Radio and a whole slew of other content. <laughs> um, right now we are here to just contribute our, our own thoughts, our own experiences to this project about mental health today. Uh, so I guess we'll start this off just with a brief introduction of ourselves and our own experiences struggling with mental health. In some cases, it might be a direct struggle, maybe watching somebody else being affected by, you know, a disorder of some sort. Um, would you care to start, Dylan? Sure. Um, so as Emmy said, I am Dylan Thorne. I help to produce Maelstrom Radio. And a few days ago, Flattis asked me to help with this project to speak about mental health and my personal experiences. And... Flattis and I have talked a lot as far as about um, my experiences and my history about mental health, and I generally try to be fairly open about it. Um, as a child, I grew up with a father who was schizophrenic, and also kind of, I guess, accompanying that schizophrenic uh, disorder, he was also, um, he abused prescription drugs and also was physically abusive to both me and my sister. And one of the struggles not only um, I had growing up with that physical abuse was also the trying to understand his disorder and kind of as a child, that's a really, really big ask. And especially for something on the level of schizophrenia and, you know, trying to understand how to react to it, when to react, um, just because, you know, with, with certain disorders, it's, you may do the same thing every day, and every day you would get a different reaction. Um, and, uh, you know, child's mind, it just, you know, you kind of get confused from that. Um, as I kind of grew up into an adult, I realized that as a result of my experiences, I also tended to struggle a lot um, as far as with certain stresses in my life. I knew I didn't cope well, even as a child. And, you know, in, in the household that I grew up in, where you already had, <clears throat> excuse me, a parent who struggled with their own mental health, trying to understand how to deal with my own, um, I really didn't know. I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what to do with it. And it really wasn't later until I was an adult that I kind of understood healthier ways of trying to cope how to look at my own mental health, um, not just as, you know, oh, I'm crazy or not crazy, but rather it's a condition that should be looked at as no, being no different than like being a diabetic, for example. Right. It's, it's really, from my perspective, just something that, that sort of happens and that you have to manage. 
and a lot of people, including myself from an outsider's perspective, um, did see it initially as, you know, something something just really to, to hide, to try and, and cope with. Uh, for myself, at least, like you said, I... Um, sorry, for myself, at least, very similar to, to your experiences, actually, Dylan, I also had a parent who was uh, dealing with schizophrenia, who continues to struggle with it to this day. Um, my mother was diagnosed with schizophrenia when I was about, I'd say, 12 or 13 years old, um, and also with bipolar thrown into the mix um, on her end, and her own struggle with alcoholism. It was very tough, you know, watching and, and knowing when, how to respond, knowing what each day would be like, you know, with with a parent. And I imagine that maybe might have been similar in your case. I really don't know because every single, every single mental health um, issue is going to be different from from one person to another, from one experience to another. Absolutely. Um, and and it's especially like as a child, the one thing that does seem consistent when you are dealing with a family member who has a mental health issue is not knowing, not knowing what today is going to be. Is today going to be a good day or is it going to be a bad day? Um, and my it's, experience. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, that's true. One day my mom would seem completely fine. And the next day I would get a call from my sister saying, hey, she left us on the side of the road. We have no way of getting home, and thankfully, in that in that situation, my dad was able to to get a hold of them too and and pick them up. Or in one case, you know, she would threaten one of my sisters with a knife. Very, very dangerous. But then, you know, knowing the person that they are and loving the person that they are, you know, still at the end of the day, she's my mother, he's my father, what have you. It it's very, very tough. Yeah, it, it's incredibly tough. In my personal experience, it was, and, and it's funny kind of that you mentioned the knife thing. Uh, with me and my father, um, it was kind of a matter of, you know, today I left my crayons out. Is this going to be a day where, you know, he's like, hey, just pick up your crayons? Or mm -hmm. is today going to be the day where, you know, he grabs me? he smacks me or engages in some other physical contact and you know you didn't know what to do from day to day and I know for myself um, and I imagine this might be similar for other people who had been in similar situations you develop kind of some not so healthy habits in really trying to anticipate and protect yourself from what possible reactions may happen um, you know, I know for myself, I would I became really withdrawn and didn't really kind of talk to people on the outside just because if I didn't, if I wasn't seen and if I didn't talk, then I couldn't have, I couldn't anger my father. And for me later, when I had started struggling, I didn't know how to talk to other people. I didn't know how to tell them what was going on and how to help me. So, I mean, it's a very complicated thing when it's a parent. And it's somebody who you love and you want to be there for them 100 mm percent. -hmm. But you feel bad because some days like you start to think like, 
you know, gosh, my my life would be better if they weren't here sometimes. And and then you feel bad for thinking that way. Yeah, I can, you know, I I can't exactly put myself in those shoes, um, you know, knowing knowing that everybody is going to be different in terms of their own experiences. But, you know, I, I can certainly imagine those coping mechanisms that you might have used might have have been an obstacle later on. You know, what what may have helped you then avoid abuse ended up becoming then something to overcome with realizing that you also had your own your own struggles to to work with that needed a bit more help than simple positive thinking. Yeah, I mean, and and that's kind of one thing that I mean, I find kind of interesting kind of comparing and contrasting our experiences. We both had parents who had mental issues. And that's one thing that, you know, I definitely find when I've spoken to other people, um, sometimes who have mental difficulties, who struggle with things like anxiety, depression, so on and so forth. There's a large amount of those people who I've spoken to who have had those kinds of issues with the parent where the parent has had um, a mental condition. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, as I grew into adult, I eventually kind of pursued a a degree in psychology, um, primarily because I wanted to understand. I wanted to understand how this all worked and where I kind of even fit into it, which Mm -hmm. I don't advocate. Do not self-diagnose. It's not a good idea. But... That being said, it was really kind of interesting um, to me to see that there are so many times where people who a person who has a mental issue now had a parent or a close family member who had a mental issue when they were a child and just seeing and thinking about how, especially, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, if they had an approach to mental health then like they do now, how much of that could have been prevented? How many people could have been prevented having those struggles now? Some of it, yes, could be hereditary. Mm-hmm. And you kind of deal with that as it comes. But some of it is also um, a, a product of conditioning. Um, for myself, I, I think it's probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Um, in addition to my father having his struggles, my mother also suffered from severe depression. So I kind of knew as I grew as an adult that <laughs> statistics were a little bit against me. Um, and it kind of, I guess, in a way made me more aware and a little bit more, you know, I monitored myself a little bit more. But I think the, the message if I was to get around to right now as far as thinking about, you know, how this type of thing passes from parent to child sometimes is that dealing with your mental health now to anybody who's listening especially if you have a child or you're thinking about having a children being diligent about it now and taking care of yourself now is going to it's a gift of love to your to your children or your future children um it's Mm -hmm. it's helping to stop that cycle i agree completely and like you said i don't think that there's a definitive answer as to what necessarily may cause mental health issues but there there are some things you know such as as parental struggles of their own and maybe not letting those sorry and and letting those things kind of blow over 
go over the top, so to speak, and, and go untreated. I, I certainly think that may be a contributing factor as to what may cause, you know, an effect on other people. But at the same time, what I've actually noticed is that a lot of people who even step in to help, a lot of people who do end up changing their majors to psychology, um, they have experienced their own struggles, either secondhand or firsthand. Um, for example, my sister, my youngest sister, is majoring in psychology now, and a very large amount of that, I think, came from these experiences that she had had for the majority of her childhood. She didn't know very much a mother who was mentally more or less stable, who was, you know, able to address those things. She didn't have as as healthy of an experience as other people would have, you know, regardless of whether or not it was some sort of mental health condition that needed to be managed. I think had it been managed, maybe things would have turned out a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, and, and even for myself, like, I definitely do think about that. And uh, and I know kind of as part of, you know, my condition, which I am diagnosed with anxiety and major depression, um, is not getting lost in the rabbit hole of what could have been. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and that's like, you know, at times when I'm having what I call, you know, a dip, which is kind of a major episode of depression or anxiety, I will get lost in thinking about how could my life have been different had this not happened? Would I be, quote unquote, normal? And one of the things that, you know, is part of, I think, my treatment and OSA development is understanding there is no normal. There's just individuals. There's our own individual past and own individual stories. And it's not a competition as far as comparing ourselves to, oh, my goodness, I'm really struggling with this thing. But, you know, my friend over here next to me is not. It doesn't mm-hmm. make you broken. So and, and that's one thing that, you know, I know, especially talking to friends who have issues is, is you know, really struggling with that idea of being broken. Um, of your the course of your life having changed, having been altered because of your condition. Um, and it's really kind of just getting over. Uh, that's a large hurdle for so many people is getting over that. But yeah, and, and a lot of people like your, your sister and myself, um, I know I kind of pursued psychology because I wanted to understand. I wanted to see what it was all about what why did this happen why was my father like this why in you know kind of from a more personal even why am i like this and um yeah now i know a lot of mental health professionals probably have had similar experiences because it it's made it personal to them and it's made it a passion project um mm-hmm. And, and that's great for myself, though. I think <laughs> I, I know I kind of took it as far as like, you know, really, really self-analyzing a little bit too much. Um, yeah, I mean, what I'm what I'm curious about is once you you started learning about psychology and all of that, did you ever find out that why? You never find out the why. Um, there's a lot of uh, the, the branch of psychology I studied was behavioral analysis and one thing I did learn is that there's this kind of a this concept, this principle called conditioning. And it's this idea that 
the things that you experience um, in your life, you know, especially the more often that thing kind of happens, it conditions you. Um, it's kind of like, you know, even like how an athlete conditions themselves as far as to respond in a certain situation to a physical, you know, stimuli. We also kind of can do that emotionally and mentally. And that while, yes, nurture, um, or sorry, nature, um, our biological makeup has a lot to do with that, there is so much also as far as in our environment, um, how people respond to us, how we respond to them, and what the payoff is that, from that, that kind of also develops kind of a pattern within ourselves of how we respond to situations. And in regards to mental health, like anxiety and depression, that I learned more about how to deal with it rather than why. I kind of learned that the why wasn't important. What is important is what you do now. Um, mm -hmm. Understanding that, yes, I used to respond this way because of this, but I can intervene or I can ask for an intervention to change how I respond to that in the future, to change the program of conditioning. Um, instead of if I'm faced with a social situation in which normally I would get so anxious that I would find myself kind of withdrawing and sitting in a corner that instead I may be going to do this or I'm going to ask for a friend to kind of be with me when I do that so I can be more comfortable and then ask that friend over time to kind of, you know, step back a little bit so I can do this on my own um, or uh, one thing I also have a lot of issues with um, is driving anxiety uh, mm -hmm. is understanding that, you know, I driving kind of on those quieter roads, at least initially, and then working up to driving on the interstate. Um, it's It can apply to so many different things. So, yeah, I never learned the why, but I kind of, I guess I, I, I could say I learned the how, the how of how to deal with it. Um, I see. So, so then did that help you with, with seeking out treatment at that point for your, your own depression and anxiety, or did that come a little bit earlier? You know, because I know for some people, it's very, very difficult to consider that they might have some sort of imbalance that needs to be corrected, you know, with therapy, with, with uh, prescription drugs, with things that, for example in cases where words of support just simply aren't enough. We're going to, to friends for support. You know, it may not be as simple as going to them and they say, cheer up and it'll be okay, especially with depression. Um, it's not quite so simple as that, is it? Um, did you have any sort of objections, you know, at, at that point or even beforehand? So one of the things... Um I kind of, I think, struggled with is, um, you know, in pursuing psychology as part of my degree, I engaged in something that, you know, is, is very dangerous. I engaged in a lot of self-treatment. I believe that now that I understand the how, I can deal with it on my own. I don't need therapy. Um, and, and to a certain extent, it works. Um, but it's like what one of my friends calls a band-aid over a bullet wound. <laughs> it, yeah, it maybe stems some of the flow of blood, but it's still a bullet wound. You're still bleeding pretty heavily, and, it, and a Band-Aid's not going to quite cut it. Um, so it's one of those things, it worked for a while. Um, and I know I also um, 
can't recall the specific details, but I know I was probably engaged in other um, probably, you know, dangerous behaviors as far as especially as a college student, drinking too much, going out, partying too much, um, looking for attention from maybe, say, you know, the male <laughs> male sex mm-hmm. um, in order to kind of put a salve over that, that if these people see me as worthy, then I'm going to feel better about myself. And all of that kind of just helped to put it off, to put off the need for real help. And it wasn't until like after, um, actually, I met my husband probably three years after, you know, I guess you could say the honeymoon phase uh, had worn off the high from, you know, meeting this person, this wonderful person, marrying them. And it wore off. And then one day, like I had a hard time functioning. I had a hard time doing the laundry. I had Mm -hmm. a hard time doing the dishes. And there was nothing really going on in my life that was causing me to feel that way. But I just had a hard time feeling like I could do anything. And I kind of spiraled even further down to having the feeling like I had these like little voices in my head saying, you're never going to be able to do this. You're never going to be able to be a good enough wife. You're never going to be able to be a good enough friend. Um, And constantly kind of putting myself down to the point where I just kind of stopped functioning. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't until how I could see how much it affected my husband and how worried he was about what was going on that I realized this is not normal. This is not just me having a little, you know, feeling a little bit sad about myself. This is so much bigger than myself. And, you know, there came, it came a point where, you know, I kind of just kind of looked at him one day as like, I think I need to go to a therapist. I, and I just can't even recognize, you know, we talked about it and we hadn't talked about it even before. I hadn't really confronted us. Like, you know, I'm having a problem and I don't know what to do about it. All of the psychological education I had couldn't tell me how to dig myself out of this deep hole that I felt like I was in this, you know, this place that I felt like I was drowning. And I think that's kind of the thing for a lot of people is sometimes you do kind of hit that, you know, like they say that rock bottom area. And I kind of like look back on that now and had I not tried so hard to treat myself and not ask for help to feel like I just need to uh, rub some dirt in the wound and walk it off. I could have gotten treatment earlier and it could have not gotten that bad. Yeah, was it tough knowing when enough was enough? You know, when when you knew, for example, that that there was something a little bit more serious that that needed to be addressed. Um, it was a bit of both. It was both incredibly difficult, but it was also a relief. Uh, one of the things that I kind of also struggled with, um, in addition with my own mental health, was this idea that. I was going to end up being like my parents, um, that I was in particular going to end up being like my father. Mm-hmm. And I had structured my life um, almost around this idea of not being like him, of not being schizophrenic, not being an, an abusive individual. And kind of recognizing later, like through treatment is... Um, Part of what I was doing was, if anything, was actually kind of helping pave the path to that eventuality. Interesting. Uh, and, you know, it was in itself was a condition because, you know, 
my major had been determined by that. Um, other certain ideas of how I lived my life had been determined by that. Um, I am, you know, child free by choice. I'm not going to have children. Love kids. Mm-hmm. They're great, but I'm not going to have them myself. And one of the reasons why, like an early reason why I had made that decision was I didn't want to face a situation to where I treated my children like my father had treated me. I knew that if I had um, ultimately been an abusive individual to my children, it would have utterly broken me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of having spoken to therapists that when you are making massive life decisions around a thing, around a fear, that's a problem. Um, It's not to say that those decisions may or may not be right or wrong, but it's still a problem when you completely structure your life around a fear. So that was kind of hard. It was, you know, knowing that I had to go to seek treatment um, because of that, feeling like I had lost, feeling like I had failed. At the same time, it was kind of a relief in the fact that for at least a few minutes, I can stop trying so hard. I can stop working so hard to prevent this thing. I can I can ask for help. I don't have to do it on my own. And when you're trying so hard to do it on your own, you don't realize how exhausting it is, um, which is probably one of the reasons why when I had that big dip, like why I couldn't even do things like the laundry, because I was taking all of my energy towards not being this other thing. Right. And at least if I can chime in with my own experience here. Um, the the difficult part, at least for for, you know, from my perspective, at least um, from just, you know, experiencing, you know, strong emotions from time to time. Is is knowing that you're going through this and it's very tough sort of to realize that anything is wrong when you've when you've essentially built your life around around these sorts of fears and when you've been at it for so long because everything that you experience really is you know genuine it's it's not something as simple as well I'm you know putting on this anxiety or something like that it's it's genuine anxiety we experience our emotions firsthand and from at least for me at least um even though I'm able to point out, for example, that something I'm doing may not be super productive, it's not as simple as just saying, well, don't feel this and it'll go away. You know, suppression, suppression cannot last forever. And um, so so reaching out and asking for help um, in, in those sorts of situations, even though it's very tough. And even though it's something that you may have avoided for such a long time, for whatever reason it may be, is extremely productive. You know, that's that's really the best thing that you can you can do for yourself. Absolutely. And the one thing I say um, I want to kind of follow up with that is. It's not just a one time thing. It's not a, I go to therapy, I get treatment, we decrease, you know, the number of sessions I have to go in for, everything's fixed. It's not like that. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of the reasons why I compare it to being like a diabetic. You don't just stop being diabetic one day. (laughs) That's not how it works. It is one of those things that 
you know, you're you're going to have to be diligent about it. You're going to have to, you know, monitor yourself and know when you're kind of slipping um, and make those adjustments. Sometimes that means going back to, to therapy or increasing the number of sessions. Sometimes it means medication. Um, it can mean any number of things, but don't go to therapy and expect that, you know, after three months, yay, I'm fixed. It's I'm the, better. Right. It's it's not as simple as that. I mean, you know, you can see right now just very, very personal uh, analogy at the moment. Um, so, you know, my mother's been struggling with this since I was early teen, essentially. And, you know, she's gone to therapy for years. She has been on a variety of drugs, but there have been times, you know, over the years where she has had to gone where she has had to go back into, you know, mental hospital for, um, because it just wasn't safe for us. Or in this case right now, actually, as we're speaking, she's struggling with her own medication, with developing, you know, a, a resistance to it. And her behavior has really reverted to the way that it was before. Um, so it, it's something that's an ongoing thing. Um, and, and you'll probably end up having to deal with it and, and manage it really is what I should say for for the rest of your life it's an ongoing thing it's not as simple as okay you're cured that's it we're done yeah there's no magic wand <laughs> I, if only there were I, I you know really really wish that there were but the fact of the matter is that is that is how things are you know this becomes a normal in a way for for those experiencing it but it's extremely liberating really from what I hear, um, to be able to manage that. You know, am I am I correct in saying that? No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, if you are managing it correctly and you're managing it in a healthy way, um, it's ex- incredibly liberating. Um, one of the things that um, I, I do kind of also notice, though, is sometimes just because you say that you have a mental issue, um, you have to treat it. You have to take ownership of it. You are the one who is responsible for your own mental health. And I've seen, and even I've done this at times where I'll go ahead and say, yes, I'm having an issue. I'm having a depressive episode. And avoiding the situation where you start to rely on others too much in a way that's unhealthy. Um, basically using others as a crutch. You know, one thing that I said previously in this recording is understanding that other people aren't going to fix you. Mm-hmm. There is no fix, but only you can basically take responsibility for your condition. You can't ask for other people to manage your condition, to manage you. Um, and it's actually part of that reflection that also made me think about through the process of therapy, think about actually my own father and the fact that even though he was abusive, um, it, it, people aren't black and white. Right. And that just because he was abusive didn't mean that he was this horrible, evil person. He did some very bad things, but he was still a person. Um, having ta- spoken to some family members, I learned actually that his mother was abusive to him. And could have been actually where he developed some of his own issues. And through that, I was kind of able to step back and look at it and the fact that 
he was maybe encountering a situation where he was relying upon others to kind of help manage his situation. And because he was unable to kind of take some responsibility for it himself, it ended up being these situations where my child hasn't put away their crayons again. Oh my goodness. Like, don't they understand how that stresses me out, how that causes me this anxiety, how this causes me this depression. And then they react to that and they react to that in a negative way. And after that reaction, um, you kind of come back later and they come back later and they're like, oh, you know, I'm, I know I did this and I'm really, I'm so sorry. I was having, you know, I had a hard day at work and you know, I have this kind of like, I have, I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with depression and I'm so sorry I did this to you. Just, you know, forgive me. I'll never do it again. And in that case, with the instance of my father, it was a physically abusive relationship in which that happened. I notice with other people who struggle with mental issues and even in myself I've done this that we can use it as a crutch we can use it as an excuse for our behavior it's like yes Mm -hmm. this behavior is a product of our anxiety a product of our depression but if we don't take ownership of it we can allow that condition to be become an abusive situation with others And I think that's another thing that um, people struggle with these days in the fact that there's a lot of things in the media um, as far as, you know, people abusing one another and how horrible that is. But I think one thing that hasn't been entered into the conversation is the fact that how we all have that capacity to be abusive to each other. And especially for people who struggle with mental illness, when you let that become a crutch, how you turn that crutch into a bat, into a means to develop negative relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. So, so ultimately, then, did did that end up affecting your relationship with your father? Then, yeah, it did. Um, when I was about sixteen years old, I realized that um, my father was not interested in trying to find a healthy way to deal with his his mental illness. Um, He had been in and out of various different mental hospitals. And as I kind of became an adult, I realized that one of the reasons he had been in and out of various different mental hospitals and facilities was mostly for the prescriptions. Um, He would go there, say that he had a certain condition, they would write him a prescription, and then he'd be done with them. And uh, that he was abusing those prescriptions. And mm-hmm. he had uh, called me one day and we were having a conversation, I think, about Father's Day. And I had been late on sending him a Father's Day card. And he proceeded to berate me, um, call me various different names, um, tell me how ungrateful I was and all these various different things. And... I don't know what it was, but I just kind of had this moment of clarity that it wasn't going to ever change, that he was never going to take that step to manage his condition, to find a healthy way to have a relationship with me, to have a relationship with my sister. And it was heartbreaking. 
the mm-hmm. fact that I kind of said had to say it's like I'm sorry I just I can't have you in my life anymore right. and I still loved him but I just realized that to try to continue um, to have that relationship with him was ultimately going to be so detrimental, so unhealthy for me that if I wanted to take care of my own mental health, that I just couldn't have him there in my life anymore. And I know for other people, um, it's, it's a struggle sometimes when you know that something or someone's not good for you right especially when you have when you have such a a complex person in front of you you know knowing knowing that despite all of that you know he's still your dad um just like in in my case despite you know what my mom is in terms of her mental illness she's not always defined by that but you know balancing the idea of what's best for me and my own stability um, versus, you know, what may end up helping them. And, and you know, in this case, what may end up helping helping your dad, you know, really wasn't you being around. Yeah, and, and that's definitely true. Um, and sometimes that, that's just kind of how it has to be. And it doesn't mean mm-hmm. that you failed it doesn't necessarily mean that that person is, again, like an evil person. Right. It just means that this is how things have to be right now for the for everybody's best health. And, you know, and again, like with everything else that we've said is realizing that you haven't failed. You're not broken. And, you know, no matter what, you're not the only person who's ever had to deal with this. You're not alone. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people struggle with when it comes to mental issues is is that feeling of isolation. It's true. It's true. You know, even even as a bystander, I think we we have this sort of stigma saying everything is okay. You know, and and so why is there any good in in explaining that something isn't? Because the the normal, what was your normal, is not the same anymore. But, as you had said, really there's not a whole lot of good in dwelling on the past. And and really we should look toward the future, in my opinion. You know, look at the present, look at where we are now, and figure out how can we press on. How can we, you know, make our lives as as good as possible for as many people as we can. Yeah. Um, I mean, and one of the things to like you said, looked forward to the future. Um, I mean, it's definitely recognizing when you need help, when you need treatment. Um, I've now been um, back and forth through therapy probably about three times. Each Mm -hmm. time I learn something new and something different. Um, It's actually, (laughs) in a weird sort of way, it's almost exciting to get to know a new therapist. And first of all, um, for anybody who's listening, don't feel bad about, you know, seeking therapy. Um, For me, if nothing else, I kind of like I joke around in the fact that like this is great. I can now go speak to somebody for an hour 
to somebody who is obligated to listen to everything I have to say. <laughs> they have no choice. They cannot escape. Um, and, 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 you know, and when I even went to therapy, like, yeah, some days there was days where like I was crying and it was horrible. And I walked out of the therapist's office looking like like this horrible, messy, snotty thing. Mm-hmm. Um, some days, though, you know, it was just like, you know, me going in there like, hey, what's going on? And we just have a chat just about like, you know, silly things like, yeah, I, I watched this show this last week and it was great. Um, you know, they'd ask me like, you know, hey, what's going on in your life? And it was sometimes it was just like stopping over with coffee with a friend. Um, so it's always kind of different from session to session. And I actually kind of in, in some ways started to look forward to it. Um, because I could also say anything, whereas with a friend, sometimes or a loved one, you sometimes have to watch what you say. But with a therapist, you can just let it out, and it's like no holds bar, and it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, especially like recently, um, my most recent quote unquote dip, uh, I kind of approached the place where I realized that on top of therapy, I also needed medication. Um, something that I had strongly, strongly resisted for the longest time. Um, like I, I said, you know, my father abused prescription drugs. Um, I had always really been kind of, um, I think, had a lot of anxiety about any type of psychoactive drug. So I, anytime they would mention it to me, I'd just be like, nope, nope, that is not, not going to happen. <laughs> it, right. We are not going there. <clears throat> But, but eventually you did. Eventually, eventually you did. Yeah. And the thing is, as far as prescription um, drugs, as far as dealing with mental issues, is you have to look at it in a couple of different ways. First of all, just because you need a prescription doesn't mean, again, that you're broken. Um, a lot of times therapists will use um, an antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication or some other type of mental um, psychoactive drug as a facilitator. Um, and what I mean by that is... It'll be used in combination with therapy. And that's kind of one thing that anytime you go to a doctor, if they want to give you a prescription for um, some type of psychoactive drug, make sure that at least you open that discussion as far as like, okay, yes, I I will accept this prescription, but are we going to be doing therapy alongside of it? And you always need to ask for that. Make sure if they don't mention it, make sure you ask for that because it should not be relied upon on its own in most situations. In my situation, um, one of the things that we kind of found is that I have, I guess, a somewhat of a, a chemical imbalance in the fact that even if I could be doing everything else, you know, for lack of a better word, if I, even if I could be doing everything else right, I still um, really struggled to feel like I was able to respond um in the way that I should to certain situations in regards to anxiety. And it wasn't until after I finally kind of gave in, I'm like, okay, I'll go ahead and do this prescription. And once we found the right drug, it was like night and day. I didn't feel drugged. I felt normal again. I felt like myself. Whereas I could feel now it's like, Somebody could be late to something and I don't lose my mind. I'm just like, yeah, you know, it sucks. Um, And for people, that's kind of one thing that, you know, it's not, again, it's not a crutch, but it helps me manage those feelings that I already have. 
I think that that makes a lot of sense on on my part, you know. Um, like you said, it's you know you're you're still feeling everything kind of genuinely. You know, it's not so much a crutch; it's just helping you be you. Yeah. Um, whereas before it was me and then a bunch of, uh, anxiety, a bunch of anger <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and that's kind of one of the things as far as pre-medication when I would respond and I knew I was responding in an extreme manner to certain situations, I could see it, I could feel it. And that feeling of knowing that I was responding in an unhealthy manner actually fed into my anxiety it fed into my depression because you know afterwards I'd be like I could feel again kind of tying it back to my father I could feel that this is probably what it was like for him Mm -hmm. and feeling horrible in the fact that you know for example like I was saying you know my husband would be five minutes late to an appointment and I would get so angry with him and I would get so upset with it and I knew that it was extreme how I was responding and I didn't want that for our relationship. I didn't want that for my relationship with my friends either. And mm-hmm. it was in a way kind of almost a relief once I actually started taking medication, realizing that even with all of the therapy, it wasn't, it's not just how I respond. It's part of it is, you know, like I said, it's that chemical thing. Not to say that I'm assigning all responsibility to a chemical imbalance I'm still responsible for my own behaviors but part of that responsibility is also every day you know I know I have to take my medication um not taking my medication is me not taking responsibility Well, I'm I'm certainly glad that that you're the you that you are. Um and and that, you know, that you've been able to to address these these things head on. You know that you were able to take the first step and continue to take steps along that journey. So, as we wrap up, uh, do you have any any sort of parting advice that you would give to people who may be struggling with with mental illness, mental health right now? I think the the piece of advice I'd have is kind of like I've said throughout this entire recording is don't allow yourself to feel broken. Don't allow yourself to think of yourself as being abnormal. I guarantee you almost every person out there struggles with something. Um, They all just struggle with different ways. We all exhibit it in different ways because we're all Mm -hmm. different individuals. That's right. Um, The the hardest thing that I've had, um, and I kind of, I think it was about five years ago, was getting over the embarrassment. And I kind of knew that in order to kind of help myself, I needed to just start talking about it. Um, Talking about, honestly, about the things that I've experienced, um, the things I felt. And it's scary. It's scary to talk to somebody, honestly, about who we are. Every day, there's so many things that we do to kind of like filter who we are. Um, Mm -hmm. And especially in regards to mental illness, um, talk honestly with somebody and say, and and recognize, be willing to actually admit to yourself, I'm not responding 
to this situation in a way that's healthy. And I'm not responding to the situation because I think I struggle with some sort of mental illness. And it's going to be okay because I'm going to go seek help. I'm going to take responsibility for becoming a better me through therapy, through being open to the possibility of having to take um, a medication, through working with my friends and family members, through telling them about this and saying, I want you not to fix this for me, but to be a partner with me on being a better person to managing this condition. Um, and, and, and the honesty is the hardest thing. Um, and even now I struggle with it. Uh, like I said in this in most recent dip where I took medication, part of it was because, you know, I started realizing I was having um, more extreme thoughts than, than usual. And, you know, one evening, as hard as it was, I had to talk to my husband. I'm like, I've actually had, you know, thoughts about suicide and I'm not going there, but I've had those thoughts. And that was a really difficult conversation to have with my husband. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it helped. It made things better. As hard as embarrassing it was, to be honest, and it was rough. In the end, I know I wouldn't be where I am now without having been honest with myself and with others. Yeah, thank you for that. I know a lot of people have said, you know, it does get better. That's a that's a term I've often heard. But it's it's taking that first step. It's realizing that, you know, no you you aren't necessarily broken per se, but that it is an abnormality. Um I think if if you address that, if you are able to find a way that you can you can improve yourself and really that's all what we want to do as people anyways is improve the people who we are then then yes it does get better but it gets better with a little bit of a a caveat there you know there are certainly going to be times where it will get worse there are going to be bad days there are going to be good days but I'm certainly glad that that you've been able to to embark and and manage you know manage everything that that has you know accumulated that's that's going on. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, I suppose we'll wrap up this recording, though. Uh, thank you so much for, for talking with me today, Dylan. Thank you, Emmy, for being here and talking with me as well. Of course. Thank you for listening to Here With Me. Please stay tuned for more episodes in the series.